You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. This podcast episode is sponsored by Hoof Care Essentials Foundation partner, Badger Built Aprons. Ed Cornelis, who I interview in this podcast, appears in my latest book, The Farrier, and it was while I was in Iceland, both giving a clinic and photographing him for The Farrier, that I recorded this podcast. Iceland, of course, is this extraordinarily fascinating, northern, isolated island with these unique horses. And the people, of course, after a a thousand years of isolation, do have at times some quite, shall we say, conservative views, conservative with a small c. Hert, as you'll find out, isn't actually an Icelander himself. And so he's had to face up to that. We cover, of course, his life as a farrier on this northern island and how he got into shoeing the Icelandic horse. Please never call it a pony. You get in trouble. If you listen carefully to this podcast, uh, you might find that I make that mistake more than once. We have a discussion on the business of trading women and horses. But if you think that, uh, as I've said... Iceland is an old colony of the Vikings. You might understand where that's coming from. Uh, But also, uh, Hert will advise you what you do with a horse in Iceland that kicks you. And that is sound, practical advice, which might be taken up in other parts of the world. I'm in Iceland and I have just finished a one and a half day clinic. Um, Iceland is the furthest north that I've ever been. We're at uh, 63 degrees latitude here. And of course, it's the land of ice and fire where there are geysers, hot springs, glaciers. And in particular, there is the Icelandic horse. I was invited here by... Hert Cornelis, and I hope I pronounced that right. I'm sure he'll correct me. And I came here in the belief that it was uh, an Icelander that invited me. But Hert is actually from Belgium, so he is as much a foreigner here as me. But he's kindly agreed to do a podcast with me. Uh, so we're going to discuss all things uh, farriery and regarding the Icelandic horse. Uh, thank you for doing this podcast here. So tell me, when did you first come to Iceland? I came the first time to Iceland in the year 2002 on a one-week horse trip. And then um, I liked it so much that I came back the year after and then I got here, offered to work. And the plan was to stay one year and that was many years ago. And you worked in the tourist industry, didn't you? Yes, I started here in the tourist industry to take care of their horses, guide, yeah, tours, to yeah, do everything around the tourist business. And, and was that involving um, the horses? Yes. So you were taking people on treks? Or? Yeah, from one hour to one week trips. Oh, one week's good. Yeah. But were you returning to the hotel each night or was this camping? No, or? when you go one week, you go from north to south or let us say, and, and then you stay in mountain huts or, yeah. 
and you have a herd of loose horses with you, then you'd have around 50, 60 horses with you and you change two to three times a day horse. That must be really quite something. Yeah, it's a quite, uh, you feel alive when you are there just with this small amount of people, let us say 15 to 20 people and 60 horses you are, yeah. And were those experienced riders or did they go from inexperienced rider up to good riders? Yeah, it was everything from inexperienced riders to experienced riders. Well, the very t- last time I was on horseback, which is quite a while ago, was on Icelandics, but that was in the north of <coughs> Norway. Mm-hmm. And it was just great fun. And the thing I learned about the Icelandic is the A is so tough, but they look after you well, don't they? For an inexper- inexperienced rider like me, they really look after you. But we always say we have horses for everybody. We have horses that fit inexperienced riders and we have horses that are fitting very experienced riders. Mm-hmm. Some are, yeah, like people, they're all different. They all have their own character. They all have their own mind. They are. They have just one thing in common. They are all kind. Yeah, that's, and obviously I've only experienced them outside of Iceland and for the last few days. And yeah, they do seem to be a very kind horse. Yeah. So that, that's great. So you weren't shoeing at this time, but you got into farriery while you were here. Yes. And how did that happen? I've always been interested in horses in general and in everything around it. And here on Iceland, they are a little bit more flexible or they were a bit more flexible to start to do shoeing or something like that than they were in Europe. And when you go here also for one week on a trip and you are far away from civilization, you have to be able to help yourself. If a horse misses you, you have to know how to put it back on. And yeah, from one thing came another and you just keep on developing and learning. And I thought it was fun to do. But you you did have some formal training, didn't you? You There's no farrier school here, is there? No, there is no any school here about uh, yeah, showing horse or farrier or forcing or something like that. But I have been to courses and so on so to learn just out of interesting too. Because some of the, the people here now, not all of them, but some particularly go over to Sweden, don't they? And yes. some to Germany, I heard, I think. Most of them are going to Sweden. There are some going to Germany and we have got people that went to Denmark. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because I, I didn't say um, to our audience, but of course, uh, Iceland has a population of 350,000, something like that. Yes. 100,000 Icelandic ponies? Horses. Oh, I did it again. <laughs> I was told never to call them ponies. They, yeah. they, they, they're, they're horses. Yeah. They're not very big horses, are they? They are getting, uh, I think, they are actually big. Well, that's because that's all you see, so you imagine it's, they're big. It's, what you have with an Icelandic horse, they don't look big to sit on, but once, uh, yeah, to, to look at them, they're not so big, but once when you sit on them, they are feeling rather powerful, and, and you don't feel that it's a small horse. Okay. You just feel the power under you and, and they carry you for 15, 20 kilometers and they just keep on going. Anyway, 100,000 of them and, and clearly that's not enough to support a farrier school, is it? Because you, you know, there's a limit to the number of farriers that you need here and therefore there's only so many new farriers you need each year. So there's no school here, is there? So are there other opportunities for education here for a farrier? I mean, apart from coming to my clinic. Yeah, (laughs) that's actually the only way of, of, when you are in Iceland and you are showing, it's more or less the only way of educating yourself is to let 
people come that are educated or, or yeah, to help us lifting up our own level. Now, the other thing people might not know about Iceland is that apart from its isolation, mm-hmm. I mean, it's this island in the north of the Atlantic, but is it that you deliberately keep it isolated from the point of view of horses coming in? So there are no, I, I don't know for how long, there's been no new horses here, has there? For maybe no. hundreds of years. They, uh, in around the year thousand, let us say, it was somewhere in 1989, I thought, but I'm not completely sure. They decided we have enough horses, we stopped taking horses into the country. Yeah. So since that time, it's for yeah, thousands years, you can say, there has not been any other horse breed coming in than what we have now or that were here. So how did the original horses get here? Because they're not native. No. The Vikings, when they left home to find better land, they took their best horses with. But of course, you know, the trips, it's uh, you have storms on sea and stuff like that. So some of their horses died. Then they stopped in England, quite a lot of them at least did, and stole their both horses and women and kept on going. They took our best horses and our best women. Yeah, that's why Iceland has the best. So... So I would be with, within my rights to, <laughs> I'm not going to say ask for the women back. I, I think we should have some of these ponies back. Oh, horses. <laughs> yeah, you can say so, but actually the Icelandic horse is related to various breeds of, of horses from Europe. They are uh, related to Arabian horses, they are related to Mongolian horses, they are related to the fjord horses. So to yes, yeah. yeah, I know they weren't just. I mean, that's it's a quite a joke about the Vikings, because yeah. um, obviously Britain was invaded by the or or attacked by the Vikings, raided I should say, for about 150 years, and that was this same period where these incredible sailors, you know, came all this way out in the Atlantic, and anybody that looks at a map and actually has ever seen a longboat, which were incredible mm-hmm. pieces of engineering, but they're only about. Uh, three foot or a meter above water, aren't they? Yes, yes. And yet they've they've gone in probably one of the most dangerous seas in the world and yes, come across it. Their ships were so advanced that they could go everywhere with them. That's why they were so, as I say, they were the best uh, businessmen in the time. They did, yeah. They were not just attacking everybody. What do you mean they were businessmen? They didn't pay anything. They did for, not. The, for the horses or the women. No, they did not. But uh, they were actually they were trading with Asia, with, yeah, with, with a lot, with a big part of the world. All the way down to Istanbul? Yeah. Yeah, yeah lots. Okay, let's get back to horses and horseshoeing. So, how are the Icelandic uh, horses used? What sort of uses are they put to? Now, most of the Icelandic horses are used for recreation. And they are still used to round up the sheep in the autumn and the horses in the north. So before they were working horses, they were used for transportation, they were used for everything, for taking the doctor, midwife, yeah, building materials to, to transport people. That was, they were used for everything in the old days. Now it's just mainly recreation. And, yeah. and um, of course, because of this isolation, the, the Icelandic horse has been exported, especially to the other Nordic countries, but I think Germany as well, and I've seen them in the UK, all over. But they have a law here, don't they? And they're not allowed back, are they? No. Once so, they are out, they yeah. stay out. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping I get allowed back. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's, it's an interesting thing with the horses. And um, 
and, and probably there are a number of diseases that they just don't have and so so you've kept those sort of things out haven't you uh, you know it, it's as i say it's an isolated country geographically but there's been a deliberate isolation of what comes in and what doesn't yes but it's not just with the horses it's more or less with all kinds of animals they are not taking any cattle in for example they don't take any pigs in there's no other sheep it's the same there it's the same with horses not yeah, I know. Then you, you, you you're not yeah. just picking on yeah, the horses. The thing is, they don't vaccinate here on Iceland. So once when your horse goes abroad, the, one of the first things a lot of people is doing is vaccinating their horse against all kinds of diseases. So yeah. if they would take this horse back, it's infected with a disease. Then yeah, I know. There's this argument about the, the, they're a carrier of the disease, mm -hmm. that the um, vaccination might have protected that individual, yeah. but it doesn't stop them carrying. No. disease no yeah and that's absolute 100 percent strict rule isn't it and there's yes. no exceptions so that's interesting so what i want to do is ask you some quick fire questions and i'm expecting you to answer this quick yes okay so straight knife or loop knife straight chestnut or gray bolt that's not an answer but we'll go into that shod or barefoot shot okay so, so why would why is chestnut and grey both? They are not really, of course there's some people looking to the colour, but here most of the people is not looking to the colour. They are more looking how the horse is in the head and how the horse moves. If it has nice movements, if it's a very gentle horse, it's much more important than if it's grey or a chestnut. But you know, most people think in the world that, that it's the chestnut that's more fiery. And especially yeah, there's a lot of farriers think they're more difficult to shoe, but you don't go by that. No, I don't think chestnuts are difficult to shoe. I always say windows. You know, this, uh, I don't really know how you call it in English, this color now. Dun blacks, I believe. Dun? Yeah. Yeah, well, they're just a sort of grey, yes. creamy. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. You think they're the worst, do you? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to avoid them from now on then, <laughs> especially with the Icelandic. Actually, saying about the temperament of horses, the thing about the Icelandic is, okay, I only saw you show a few horses and I've seen a few, is they do stand pretty well, don't they? Yes. Or was I lucky? No, in general, they are quite very well behaved, but here when they are bad tempered or so on, they go to other places. We take them out. We don't want to have mean horses in the breed here. What do you do with those mean horses? How do you take them out? There is a saying, if we cannot ride them, we can at least eat them. Yep, they're a very pragmatic country. <laughs> so horse meat is on the menu. Horse meat is on the menu. In a land that absolutely loves their horse, but you're a pragmatic people. Yes, it's actually I have a very funny story about that. One of my neighbors, he had a, a very nice horse, at least he said, so he was very proud of it. And then he got kicked by another horse and it broke his leg. And so yeah, we went to him and asked him, yeah, and how he said, uh, I was crying for three days. His otter was, yeah, had broken his leg and he had to shot him. Uh, he had to kill it. And after these three days, we asked him, ah, then I started to eat him. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that, was, that was it. He has yeah. cried so, about it three days and then it was over in another yeah. use. I'm surprised knowing some of you, well, some of the Icelandics, that he could cry for three days, actually. <laughs> so we looked at some educational opportunities and, and, and not so many, but there's, I noticed in, in other Nordic countries, 
there's quite a high proportion still of cold chewing. And when I went out with you a couple of days ago, you cold shod, but you said you have facilities and I saw them in the back of your van for hot chewing. So what sort of proportion of, of farriers cold shoe and what proportion hot shoe? I think actually most of the farriers are cold chewing. Okay. I think almost all of them. I think there's one farrier that does most of his work hot shoeing. But, uh, yeah. But you, you didn't choose to shoe those horses hot shoeing. So when do you decide that you're going to hot shoe one? I do most of the time hot shoeing when I have to reshape a shoe very much. If I have to widen it out or then yeah, it's too much work to okay. do it cold. Then we... Yeah, because you had the a horse. stall jack there. Yeah. And, um, and as I said to you, you were, you were shoeing these horses with um, side clips behind. Yeah. And... You know, my experience of side clips and cold shoeing, that's, that tests your skill, doesn't it? Of getting them in and getting the shoe back. Whereas when you're hot shoe with side clips, it's quite easy actually. You just push them back a little bit and in they go. Yes, but, but you have sometimes when you do this hot shoeing and you burn in the side clips on the hind. With a lot of Icelandic horses, the hoof falls is too thin. You can end up with the nails inside the white line. Well, that never makes the horse happy, does it? No. But I know that you have a thing that you think that uh, there's some styles of shoeing where they're being shod too tight on the inside. Yeah. And they therefore get a weakened wall there because it's getting stressed too much. And I know you were quite strong on that of um, actually using the full thickness of the wall to, you know, to sit on the shoe. Yeah. Um, but the, these Icelandics, they did look like they had quite strong hoof wall in, in normal circumstances, but obviously there's individuals that, that don't. Yeah, especially with the pace horses and, and for the competition horses, they are so afraid to lose a shoe on that competition that they put the shoe always just... The shoe really tight on the inside, yes. yeah. And, and they, they keep on going because yeah, when you put it tight, you move the hoof all inside, you, yeah, you move the hoof and, and you follow it, they follow it. and yeah they can end up with really different hooves or unbalanced hooves in the back. Now, it's time here that we go to the deep philosophical question. So my question to you is, what is the greatest obstacle that we have to overcome? That we have to come to overcome here on Iceland. You answer it whatever way you want. It's a philosophical question. A philosophical here. question. That's a very difficult question. I think the biggest thing we have to overcome as failure is to get people to maybe respect us much more okay. and, and accept our knowledge about our work that's here on Iceland, I think, the biggest obstacle. Okay. Well, that's an original answer. I haven't had that one. I think that's an excellent answer. And in fact, at the clinic or, or afterwards with, with one of the breed show judges, he, he felt that actually things were improving here in Iceland, that there was more meetings and collaborations between the breeds, the vets and the farriers. So I hope it's not that just he's had this individual experience and, and maybe things are improving. Because this is not unique to Iceland, as you know, it's mm. the world over that um, farriers need to get their voices heard. Yeah, yeah. It's changing here in Iceland, but I think it's still a little bit too slow. And it's also, I think it's also a part of it because 
we have good values. I cannot say that we don't have good values, but the knowledge in general, both from the owners and from some farriers and from trainers, is not about how the hoof works and so on. It's not good enough to improve things faster. Okay. We need more education. We need more. Uh, we have to learn more how everything works. Well, you you've helped the island in that. I I know that initially you didn't have a lot of support getting me out here, did you? No, no not in the beginning. And they all came together today and it was a bigger group than you thought and I imagined but I know that you had to push and push to, just for this one educational event didn't you? Yes because uh, here some people also think that foreigners cannot teach us anything. And that's something we share because you're a foreigner <laughs> yeah, here yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some people they have some problems with it that because it's their breed it's their horse and, and they have done it for thousands of years their way so they are very they are a bit conservative in certain ways yeah so but i'm very happy to see that especially like he said this just that the last 10 years it has changed a lot and there is more people going abroad to learn some of them stay abroad because it's much better money than here but yeah they come back with their knowledge and and so it goes forward in general but yeah it has to good it can improve a lot more. well i hope you keep pushing here. I hope the association has learned that actually taking the risk of getting a clinician over is not such a big risk, is it? Because there's obviously a demand for the education because there was barely a space in the room today. Yeah, it, to be Iceland, it was a big success this day. It was, uh, yeah, actually almost twice as much people as I expected. Yeah. So, and what I was most of all happy about is how many veterinarians were coming and were really interesting it yeah and that again is a good thing just for them to discuss things together the vets yes. and the farriers you know it, it was all very good and um quite obviously i'm still getting a buzz out of it and um okay now uh you speak is it six languages or seven languages yeah you can say six six yeah okay well that's pretty good because i speak one what i what i want to do is ask you in icelandic uh to say madam Please hold your horse still so that I can show it. In Icelandic? Yeah. Stelpan, give the halte pigeon so you get the There we go. So any farrier coming to Iceland now is able to use yeah. that. But I know you're, you're multilingual because obviously coming from Belgium, you probably had to speak two languages to start with. And hmm. Does Icelandic vary much from Danish, for example? Yes, it's actually a big difference. It's, uh, Icelandic is closer to Norwegian. Especially when when older people from the north of Norway are coming to Iceland, they have actually not such a big problems to communicate with people here in Iceland. They can easily have a chat. Okay. So we're here in Iceland. We have the Icelandic horse, and it does have an unusual, if not unique, trait in that it has five gates, doesn't it? Yeah. So what is the extra gate? They have actually two gates more than most of the horses in Europe, and that's the tilt and the pace. Okay, so so tell me, I know what the pace is because the pace, you know, I've seen pacers and trotters, and mm -hmm. and a pacer moves its left hind and left front together, doesn't yeah. it? Parallel, yeah. and then the right hind and right front. But the tilt, how does that work? When a horse tilts, there's always one leg on the ground. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I don't like that when I shoe them. No. 
Now, the Americans have actually a, a very good explanation for it. They call it the running walk. Okay. Because like when a horse walks, there's always one leg on the ground. Yeah. When it tilts, it has the same. There's always one leg on the ground. So is it fair to describe it as a very fast walk? Yes. Okay. So it's not really another gate then, is it? Yeah, it, it's <laughs> not really completely the same, but yes. It's actually one of the only breeds that can do it so fast. Okay. You can really go, there are quite a lot of horses that has to gallop to keep up the speed. And do they have to be trained to do that, or is this a natural part of the breed? It is a natural part of the breed. The only thing we have to teach them is when to do it. Mm -hmm. We have to yeah, teach them when we want to have which gait, when we want to have walk, trot, gallop, tilt or pace. Okay. So what is the advantage of, of the tolt? Is it, it's a comfortable gait to ride, is it? Yes, it's like sitting in your sofa and moving forward. Yeah? Yeah. So how long can a, an Icelandic keep this gait going? Actually, we can do this for yeah, many hours. We gave them sometimes a break in between, but yeah. Okay, so, so in other words, the advantage of this is you travel a long distance. Yes. And you travel comfortably. Yes. Okay. Sounds like the sort of horse I need, yeah. actually. You can take one with you. But they have, um, I, I know how interested here as well, people are in these animated gates, yeah. high gates. So, so how would you describe those? Yeah, they are looking how, how high they are lifting their legs. Then, then how, how big the movement is on the horse. That's a very big part of, especially in the tilt and, and trotted so they're looking how how big the movement is in the pace they are more looking they all want to see fast it has to go fast okay yeah so as a farrier can you do anything to enhance these animated gates can you shoe it differently that, that, that increases this yes but we you can change actually quite a bit on some horses especially in the training what we do sometimes when a horse like when he's a little bit we call it pacey when his tilt is not clean. Then you can put 10 millimeter shoes, heavier shoes in the front, maybe go one size bigger and put six millimeters in the back to make them lighter. And, and if possible, maybe go one size smaller or that's, that's in, yeah, has a huge impact on, on the movement of a horse. Now I, as you know, at the end of the meeting today, I was asked into a meeting and I was asked questions by uh, somebody who has influence in, in the breed world and welfare. And of course, I wasn't actually able to answer because my sphere of expertise does not extend to gated horses. But there's obviously questions here in Iceland about how far you can take a gated horse and at what point does it become beyond the welfare, or it becomes a welfare issue. We, I think we are very much on the limit about this welfare. I think most of the horses are not really shot in the benefit of the horse on, on this high level. You see, they have, they have a lot of good horses, but what I think is a little bit the same is that we see so little horses going for several years in the top. They go up in the top and disappear because it has been too much pressure on their legs. Okay, and I mean it's good that these questions are being asked, and they're obviously being asked by the breed, and and um, uh, you know, as I say, that's a that's a reasonable thing to ask. At what point does this 
become a welfare issue. So I'm glad they're asking those questions. And, and I'm glad, you know, that there are farriers that understand the gate and think about uh, how you can enhance them in a way with just a thicker shoe or, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, improve them in that way, or I should, should say for, improve them for the point of view as the horse owner. Uh, you know, Hat, this has been great. I've had a wonderful three days. I, you showed me a lot. We went up and saw muddy steam bubbling. We didn't actually see a geezer, but we saw all the steam baths. I've seen a glacier from a distance, all these volcanoes. And the thing that impressed me is driving around the countryside is I really think I've never seen so many horses. The, the Icelandic horse is everywhere, isn't it? I know we're, I mean, we're still uh, 50 miles or 70 kilometres from Reykjavik, so we're well away from the main centre, and yet there's horses everywhere, isn't there? Yes, the moment that you leave Reykjavik, actually, you, you see horses. Yeah. It's a big part of culture here in Iceland. Yeah, no, I can see that. I, there was something, obviously I'd heard about the Icelandic horse, I knew something about Iceland, but what I hadn't realised was just how much it was part of the culture, so it's been... Wonderful. I mean, I'm staying in a hotel, which is called, I'm going to mispronounce this as well, but Eldhester. Eldhester. Well, that wasn't bad. No. And, and that means fire horse, doesn't it? Yes. And there's 350 <clears throat> horses stabled at this hotel. Yeah. I get up in the morning and all I can see is horses. Mm. No, it's wonderful. It's a great part of the culture. Uh, thank you for sharing it with us and thank you for the invitation. It's been great doing a podcast with you. Thank you for coming. It was a pleasure. Well, that was a great podcast to record from my point of view. Uh, we covered an awful lot of information. Really, I'm not going to go through all that again. We did it immediately after I'd given my clinic in Iceland and after I'd done a tour of the island or I should say one small part of the island because it's actually a very large island. Uh, and uh, we got lots of information on the history of the Icelandic horse and on its many gates. Uh, Hert, of course, described its gates. And it's for somebody like me who never really had a background in gates as a farrier, from my point of view, all that really mattered was how fast the horse ran. Uh, he, was a, he was a great subject for the podcast, but you can also see Hert and see his work and see where he works in Iceland in my book, The Farrier. And as I'm sure you know, that's widely available. If you can't find it from your local farrier supplier, then of course you can find it by going onto farrierbooks.com. And uh, you'll find it there, you'll find your local dealers, or you can buy it direct. Thank you for listening. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com.
thanks for listening. <laughs>